In this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, the group is going to explore what is a strange description of God in the Bible. What comes to your mind when you hear that our God is a consuming fire? Yeah, when Rebecca and I lived in Colorado Springs, we had a fire that came through and burned, I think it was almost 500 homes to the ground. And I just remember watching those flames shoot down the mountain mm-hmm. and envelop that whole side of town. And with the friends that we had that lived on that side of town yeah. and pictures that they would send of driving in their cars through fire. Anytime I hear of a fire anywhere now, it means very different things than it did before oh, that yeah. experience. And even in, as you describe that, it would be hard in the same breath to talk about you know, the beauty of a campfire and the warm summer night. Well, yeah. But yeah. I think that's a, an interesting point, Mart, because we try to tame fire, don't we? And yeah. We have it in our fireplaces or in our gas stoves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fire can be used in a lot of different ways. And I think we have to keep that in mind as we go to our text in uh, the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, where we get this strange statement, for our God is a consuming fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when the smoke clears, What does this tell us about God? Well, that's what we're going to discover together on this Discover the Word podcast. And this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Great to have you as part of the group with Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And it will be Mart who will be leading this discussion about a description of God that we find in both the Old and New Testaments, that he is a consuming fire. And I think you're going to find it to be a helpful series of conversations that will shape both how you think about God and how you think about the Bible, which is actually the goal of all the conversations that we have together. And so when the smoke clears, what will we have learned about what God is like? Well, let's get started. Let's talk a little bit together about the difference between working with the scriptures and worshiping the scriptures. We've we've talked about this in the past. Another way I've heard that is sometimes people refer to the Bible as the fourth part of the Trinity, Mm -hmm. as if we're Mm -hmm. seeing it on the same level as God. And instead of realizing it's a story that reveals who this God is. I think sometimes we get confused because we talk about the Bible or scriptures as the word of God. And in the scriptures, Jesus is often referred to as the word of God. You know how in Second Timothy we hear the scripture, all scripture is God breathed, and so we attribute yeah. godlike qualities to the Bible, right? Yeah. And I think because all scripture is God breathed, I think we should come to it with a high sense of respect and appreciation, even a sense of reverence, because this is what God has given us so that we could know him. But at the same time, we're knowing him through the scriptures. He is not the scriptures. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes one of the things that gets in the way of it is the idea of the authority. Mm. Because we hear, well, it's because of the authority of scripture. Well, God's the authority. And sometimes he communicates that authority through the scriptures. Yeah. But God himself is the ultimate authority. And keeping all those things in balance mm-hmm. is not really easy. And especially when there's a matter of the interpretation of Scripture, right? Yeah. 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 And I think one of the pieces of interpretation that we've talked about many times, and I think this is sometimes why we hold Scripture in an unhealthy place, sometimes at least, is because we're so individualistic too. And so we read the Bible looking, what's in it for me? Mm. What am I going to get out mm-hmm. of this? And yeah. It's a story about God first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. And you let, there's no doubt that God actually does use it to speak to us, you yeah. know. So it's kind of a gnarly topic. Yeah, it has to give witness to him though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for us to get focused on a text, yeah. claim it to be the word of God. But the problem a lot of times is we're interpreting it, which mm-hmm. we have to do. 
But anyway, all of this relates to the the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, which I've come to look at as sort of like condensed milk. (laughs) (laughs) Sweetened or? (laughs) Well, you know, it's just condensed. Like it's thick? Like it's thick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's Mm -hmm. one of the most challenging books in the Bible to deal with. And uh, part of it is because it contains a lot of very foreign content to us because it is so deeply rooted in Judaism and the sacrificial system and the priesthood and all those themes are so prevalent in it. And those are foreign to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's detailed. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'll dive into it. But the reason I wanted to talk about the difference between working with the scriptures and honoring the scriptures mm-hmm. and loving the scriptures and worshiping them is because of the really familiar passage at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It kind of sets up and frames the whole letter to the mm-hmm. Hebrews. So let's go right to the beginning of Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. And I'd like us just together to take a look at this again. And let's not take it for granted, but let's assume that what the author is doing here is framing the whole letter. <laughs> and really the whole letter will need to be read and understood as much as we can in light of what it's saying, okay? Mm-hmm. Elisa, would you just read verses one through three? Sure. And read kind of slowly, okay? Okay. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Look at how those three verses proportion out. You've got the first statement that in the past, Mm -hmm. God spoke in a lot of ways, in a lot of times, using a lot of methods through a lot of different people. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Then look at the detail that's given mm-hmm. to the son. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, it's condensed, but it, it's saying Jesus is the exact representation mm-hmm. of the Almighty, mm-hmm. the Eternal Father. Yeah, and we've talked about that before from John 1, where mm-hmm. John writes, no one has seen the Father at any time. The Son, who is in the heart of the Father, yeah. reveals him to us. And I think that that's exactly what it's saying here. Because he is the exact representation of the heart of the Father. He's the only one who can reveal that to yeah. us yeah. perfectly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good parallel passage because that's also where it introduces us to Jesus as this word that was at the beginning helping create the universe mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. which we see here. Yeah, it very much parallels yeah. what John does. It does, mm-hmm. and here's all these echoes of Jesus being the word too, yeah. which is where we... can Mm -hmm. fall into worshiping the scriptures. Yeah, instead of the word. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, our name is what? Discover the word. True. (laughs) So this really applies (laughs) to everything we do. Yes, it does. It does. uh, I've heard people refer to Jesus as he's the first face of God that we get Mm. in the story of the Bible. He's the first one that we can look at and say, oh, that's kind of what God Hmm. looks like and is like in a very different way than anything else that was revealed before him. Right. And then it goes on to emphasize his whole redemptive sacrifice, his rescuing mm-hmm. sacrifice, which really, when you think about it, that becomes the bulk of the, the letter, doesn't it? Yeah, I think rooted in, again, right into a Hebrew Jewish audience, how all of their sacrificial system was pointing to Jesus. And a lot of the theme, especially in the early chapters, is how Jesus is superior to everything, mm-hmm. to, everything. to Moses, mm-hmm. to angels, to the sacrificial system to everything. Jesus is superior to all of it. Yeah, and in a sense, the better word. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of where it starts out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so if the letter is going to go on and explore the superior nature of the Christ and to emphasize how his character was really reflected and personified in his self-giving, his his self-sacrifice, by which he reflected the heart of God as well. I want us to jump ahead then to chapter 12, verse 29. And this is kind of like going to be our text for the week. It's kind of bookends a little yeah, bit. Yeah, uh-huh. and I think it's just a really interesting throwback to the Old Testament in one hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which again, Hebrews is a very Old Testament book, so that yes. doesn't really surprise right. us. Right, except the only thing that I find a little bit surprising is that 
so much of it is all about Jesus as the the ultimate word, the better word. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we get this, Daniel, read once, verses 28 and 29 of Hebrews chapter 12, and read that therefore is kind of like referring not only to the immediate preceding statements, mm. but like to the whole letter up to that point. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. You know, Jesus sacrifices himself. Mm-hmm. We know something of the love of the Father out of the love of the Son and the fact that the Son said to us, mm-hmm. now as I leave, I want you to do one thing, love one another mm-hmm. as I have loved you. And then we get this statement, mm-hmm. for our God is a consuming fire. Mm. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> it feels scary, yeah. doesn't it? Well, what it feels like to me mm-hmm. is Mount Carmel. Yeah. When uh, yeah. Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven, and it uses the word consumed, the fire consumed the sacrifice True. and the altar and the water in the ditch around it yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, the fire literally consumed all of that. And so when I hear our God is a consuming fire, I think of Mount Carmel. Yeah. Then contrast it to the burning bush that was not consumed. Yeah. yeah. And Moses watched it and was Yeah, there's the contrast drunk. there, yes. isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when God speaks from the top of Sinai, mm-hmm. he speaks out of the roaring fire. <laughs> Moses walks into it. He's called into it. But after he returns, yeah. he's not consumed. For me, what comes to mind isn't biblical passages, but there's a few worship songs that I can think mm. of where it talks about God and him setting us on fire, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which has always been very scary language to yeah. me. Mm. And then there's a song called Consuming Fire that mm. talks about mm. God being a consuming fire. Those are the things that come okay. to mind for me. So let's just quickly go back to the source of that statement, our God is consuming fire. Go back to, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Because this is where it comes from, and uh, the author to the Hebrews is quoting Moses. Uh, Bill, would you read just verses 23 and 24? Okay. Deuteronomy 4, verse 23. So watch yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Okay. Now, quickly, I think we've worked with the text enough to know that jealousy here is not like human jealousy, right? right. Mm. But there's a, there's a similarity. What would this mean that God is a loving God? How could he be loving and jealous at the same time? He's jealous for us to love only him, yeah. to love him the best. And, and it's because he loves us and he knows that the other gods or things that we think we should worship won't work for us. They'll They're destroy false. us. Yeah. And he's mm-hmm. jealous about the things that he knows are best for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not a self-centered jealousy, right. which is often what ours is. Right. It's just know. the opposite. In fact, you know, the commentaries and lexicons point out that the word used for jealousy there is used of God. It's yeah. not a general word. I think that's a good caution, Mart, because I think any time human emotion is ascribed to God in the Bible, we have to think of it at a different level yes. than we think of the human mm-hmm. reflection of that. Right. So just quickly then, if we bring this idea of the consuming fire, meaning that our God is jealous for us, for our relationship with him, it, it almost seems like in the context of Hebrews that what I'm hearing I think, is that when the smoke clears, what we find is a God who is jealous for us to understand him as he has revealed himself in Jesus and in Jesus' self-sacrifice for us. In our first conversation, we, we talked together about this unusual way of describing God as a consuming fire. Mm-hmm. And it shows up in a book that's all about Jesus, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that we did toward the end of our conversation is to just kind of look back, where did this idea come from? And so we found it back in the words of Moses in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And there it says, for our God is a consuming fire. And then it, it explains that by saying a jealous God. Mm-hmm. And we kind of ran out of time with that. Yeah. <laughs> and Daniel, afterwards you said, let's talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. So let's let's do that. 
Because it's kind of hard to think of a loving God as a jealous God, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we think jealous and love don't go together. I mean, it's like an oxymoron. Yeah. It's two opposites. But right. with God, it's a descriptor of the kind of love, right? Yeah. And Daniel, what specifically kind of stung for you? Well, I think what it was is in the conversation, you and Bill started talking about how God's jealousy is different than human jealousy and his love being jealous and I just can't get my mind around mm-hmm. that. It mm-hmm. still feels negative to me. Yeah. It still feels somewhat self-centered or mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel like who God is. Yeah. And I think that part of that is that anytime the Bible ascribes human emotions to God, mm. we have to recognize that that emotion exists differently in God than it does in us because we're broken and he isn't. Mm-hmm. So we have a jealousy that's broken. He has a jealousy that actually corresponds with real love. And I agree, it's hard to get your mind around, but it's only because our understanding is conditioned by our brokenness. What about language here? I mean, what does the word really mean? Yeah, and it sounds like a lot like envy, doesn't it? Envy Mm -hmm. and jealousy, Mm -hmm. they kind of go together, Mm -hmm. but they're different, aren't Mm -hmm. they? Mm -hmm. Envy would be what, to resent someone else because they've got something that you want. Mm -hmm. And jealousy, I think, is more the idea of not wanting somebody else to get what we've got. Oh, interesting. It's like a very possessive, very uh, controlling, yeah. very protective. And we know how that works in relationships, right? Yeah, and we usually use the word jealousy in terms of relationships, whereas envy seems to be more about things. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's being very possessive, very protective, which I guess if you put the in the best case to be protective of our children. Mm-hmm. We're jealous for them. Jealous for them. Mm-hmm. So you can attach a good motive to it. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think of if one of my children were starting to spend a lot of time with someone that I knew was bad for them, yeah, mm-hmm. a bad influence, something. If I was jealous in that situation, it would be not because I don't want them to have a friend, not because I'm jealous because they're spending more time with that person, but it would be a jealousy maybe where it's because I know that by spending time with that person, it's leading to a negative result in Damaging that child. to them, yeah. So it's love, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't know that I would use the word jealousy in that. <laughs> we would use maybe the word protective. I, but I think in other generations, jealous is exactly the word they okay. would use. I'm jealous for you yeah. and for your welfare. Hmm. Uh, that's exactly how so they would use it. So we've got a language thing going on yeah. here. It okay. is a language mm-hmm. thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And plus the context is like everything. You, yeah. mm-hmm. you have to know in what setting, with what attitude you're considering it. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how it shows up in, mm-hmm. in Exodus. Exodus. Yeah. yeah. Because a passage we've spent a lot of time in is Exodus 34, where, again, we have Moses and God describes himself. And Daniel, you've pointed out several times, that doesn't happen a million times in the Bible where God Mm -hmm. says, this is what I'm like. And he describes himself and he uses words like compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving kindness, faithfulness. I mean, all of those uber positive kind of <laughs> characteristics. Mm-hmm. But then just a few verses later, the same God says in verse 14, for you shall not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Yeah. Now there, there's an attachment to other gods and yeah. idols. And I guess now that I'm thinking about it, probably even in this context of Deuteronomy, Yes. And maybe even in the context of Hebrews. Exactly. In Deuteronomy, it's all about the false gods. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that was the whole thing for Israel, you know, yeah, to right. rescue them mm-hmm. from the influence of gods that were not gods. Yeah. Well, and he's the one God. Right. The one true God. He's not many gods. Well, and I think the thing, we talked a little bit about how we can get knotted up studying the Bible because of, of the way we approach it. And I think if you lift that phrase for... I am a jealous God, and you lift it out and just look at it individually, it's going to be hard to frame it in a positive way. But if you see it in the exact same context as Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, this is the heart of who God is. Mm -hmm. And then you take jealous and say, okay, how does that work with those characteristics? It puts it in a different light. And see, that's what happens in Hebrews. Mm -hmm. You've got this whole book talking about Jesus is the better word. Mm -hmm. God reveals himself through him Mm -hmm. personally Mm -hmm. in a way that he has not revealed himself through the scriptures, the Old Testament. So if you have then all of this attention given to the details of his 
crucifixion and his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. He's come to take away the sin of the world, right? And he's doing it by sacrificing himself, mm-hmm. by letting himself be beat up by people who are jealous for their own control of the government, of religion, of the temple. I mean, they're very protective and jealous for what they've got. Mm-hmm. And they don't want their crowd turning away from them and following Jesus. Right. But he bears all of that in his mm-hmm. own body, sacrifices himself. Mm-hmm. So he's able to say, Father, forgive them. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to describe maybe the difference in jealousy between typical human jealousy yeah. and the jealousy of a God who reveals himself in Jesus because our jealousy leads to possessiveness, leads to I'm looking out for my best interests, but not the interests of others. And here's Jesus defining the jealousy of God by laying down his life for others. It's very different. It's still hazy in my head. (laughs) Well, it will always be through because we're always constantly trying Mm -hmm. to see the difference between him Mm -hmm. and his life Mm -hmm. and his love Mm -hmm. And his goodness and all the stuff that we attribute the same words to. Yeah, a number of years ago, I was speaking at a Bible conference and we had the kids there with us and we were playing a game and it broke my glasses. Mm. And so I had this big crack running. And so everything I looked at the rest of that week had a weird disorientation (laughs) to it. Because I was looking and I kind of feel like that's the way it is when we look at something like this, it's because we're broken, mm-hmm. we're looking through cracked lenses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we can't see it clearly. That's a good illustration. One little word is helping me. And you just said this, Daniel, that you know we are jealous about something that we want to possess. But I think you used the phrase that God is jealous for us. And yes. that that is a little bit of a mm-hmm. differentiation. Instead of being jealous so much for himself, he's jealous for us. Right. So that helps me with the cracked glasses that I yeah. typically put on to read this. So let's talk a little bit about applying this then with the our reading of the scriptures mm-hmm. and our use of the scriptures, our quoting of them and our application mm-hmm. to life. If God is jealous for the kind of reputation that his son gave him in life and in death and in resurrection. How can that help us in what we read in the Old Testament? Hmm. Or even in when we read words that came after Jesus? Yeah. How is that to be the governing guide for the meaning of Scripture? Well, I think if the Bible is a story, and it's all one story, all going in a direction, the direction it's going to is to the cross. And so the cross and resurrection become the defining element. Everything gets understood in relationship to that, whether it's before and it's pointing to it or after and it's helping us to understand it. It's all going in that direction. Yes. And so if we try to understand it apart from that, we might get some factual data we might get some good ideas. We're not really understanding the intent of the divine author. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we find ourselves immersed in a story in the scripture or in a text or in a reading, I think there's always a reason for us to say, does our theology, do our interpretations of text, do they move us in the direction of a God who sacrificed himself for us. Hmm. Because it seems like a lot of the times we fragment over all Mm -hmm. kinds of ways of interpreting the scriptures and the morality of scriptures. And and we've all got texts and somebody else has got another text kind of like on the other Mm -hmm. side of the aisle. Mm -hmm. And we argue all of all these things. And I think we need to just stop and ask ourselves, what did the word, the living word say prior to leaving? called us back to the way he had loved us. Mm-hmm. And he said, the way people are gonna know you is whether or not you love one another mm-hmm. the way yeah. I've loved you. And it just seems like there's huge implications here for us to understand that our God is a consuming fire, jealous in the best sense of the word, that we not lose sight of the reputation and the character and the love and the, the mm. goodness mm. that Jesus showed in behalf of his Father. Mm by bearing all of our junk, (laughs) by taking it all on him. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that goes back to Daniel's question about how do I get my mind around jealousy is a good thing. If jealousy exists in the context of self-sacrifice instead of Mm self-seeking. Yeah, that's a great distinction. That makes it it different. Mm -hmm. But then honestly, I don't even know how to 
think about jealousy at that point. Well, but you do because for your I'm kids. Because so, I'm so not used to thinking of yeah. jealousy and a sense of self-sacrifice. But when you do think about it for your kids, does that help a bit? Maybe, but I think, Mart, one of the main points that you're helping us see is, is we br- sometimes bring so much baggage to an idea yeah. like jealousy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think the amount of baggage that I have with that word, it makes it very difficult hmm. to see that jealousy could be an expression of perfect love. Exactly. And that's, it may take a lifetime, and it will take a lifetime <laughs> for us to kind of drop this baggage a little bit at a time, you know. Yeah. But when the smoke clears, <laughs> and we think of how the scriptures represent God speaking to us out of the fire, we can begin to see that whether this is a fire called love or a love called fire, it has a heart and it has a meaning. And Jesus gives flesh and spirit to our understanding of how God loves us. Even loving us jealously. Yeah. Well, in that chapter of this episode, they were asking the question, how do I get my mind around God's jealousy as a good thing? And uh, we're having to work through that because in the passage in Deuteronomy where we find God described as a consuming fire, It also mentions that God is a jealous God. And so understanding that will, I think, help us in the rest of this conversation as we focus more specifically on what it means that God is a consuming fire. Because, I mean, we've all seen images of the devastation of wildfires. In fact, uh, some of you have lived through them. Last year in the U.S., wildfires consumed over 7.6 million acres. Now that's more of an area than the size of the state of Massachusetts. And after the smoke clears, the terrain burned by those wildfires uh, looks like a wasteland. It wipes out vegetation and homes and just everything in its path. And so when we read in the Bible that our God is a consuming fire, what do we do with that? Well, our conversation called When the Smoke Clears continues after this quick time out. If you enjoy and are helped by studying the Bible with the Discover the Word group, I'd encourage you to go online to our discovertheword.org website, because there on the site you'll discover that uh, this series is, of course, not the only one that you'll find there. There are several more recent ones that you'll see as you scroll down the page, and there's also an archive tab up at the top of the page. Click on that, you'll have access to, I'm not lying, hundreds of series thousands of conversations that you can be part of with your Discover the Word Bible study group. You can search by date or by passage or by a key word or topic that you're interested in. Or if you remember the name of a guest like Tim Keller or Ann Voskamp or Soong Chan Ra, Margaret Feinberg, Jack Beck, Carolyn Custis James, Esau McCauley, Liz Curtis Higgs. We've had a lot of great guests. We'll type their name into the search bar. Or there are also a ton of classic series with Haddon Robinson and Alice Matthews on Ruth, Hebrews 11, the Lord's Prayer. It could go on. And so check out that archive on our discovertheword.org website and study with us. And now let's continue to explore together what it means that our God is a consuming fire. When the smoke clears, what is that saying? We've been talking about fire. And it's a tough word picture to talk about, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially if somebody's been through a, a horrific fire, right? Mm-hmm. Boy, that's a good point. Yeah, I saw someone the other day in a restaurant. It was actually it was a, a person waiting on tables, and I just happened to look down, and her legs I could see she was in a, had been in a terrible fire. Mm-hmm. I thought, what a story! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And more and more in our world, yeah. fires are consuming our planet. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Rebecca and I lived in Colorado Springs, we had a fire that came through and burned, I think it was almost 500 homes to the ground in Colorado Springs. And I just remember watching those flames shoot down the mountain Mm -hmm. and envelop that whole side of town. And with the friends that we had that lived on that side of town and pictures that they would send of driving in their cars through fire. Anytime I hear of a fire anywhere now, 
it means very different things than it did before uh, that yeah. experience. Yeah, when I was a kid, there was a man in our church who was a Korean War veteran, and a flamethrower had blown up mm-hmm. near him. And so his face and his arms and his hands were just mm-hmm. really badly burned and scarred, and he had all kinds of skin grafts and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just one of the sweetest men you could ever imagine. Yeah. A really good guy. But, you know, when you carry your scars on your face, yeah, you know, it's not like you can wear long sleeves and cover mm-hmm. them up or something. And right. you could tell that he was very conscious of his yeah. appearance. As you describe that, it would be hard in the same breath to talk about, you know, the beauty of a campfire and the warm summer night. Well, yeah. But yeah. I think that's a, an interesting point, Mart, because we try to tame fire, don't we? And yeah. We have it in our fireplaces or in our gas stoves or in a campfire or a fire pit, and we enjoy its beauty and its warmth and et cetera, yeah. roast marshmallow on it. Right. But it so easily escapes right. and becomes mm-hmm. damaging rather yeah. than comforting. So fire can be used in a lot of different ways. And I think we have to keep that in mind as we go to our text in uh, the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, where we get this strange statement for our God is a consuming fire. Mm-hmm. And in the context, it's warning people, you know, don't go back. You used to be a people of the temple. You were a people of the old covenant. And now, yeah, you're getting a, a lot of pressure. You're getting a lot of blowback because, because you've chosen to follow Jesus. And some of you are a little bit afraid of the this persecution is going to cost you your life maybe in some cases or the, the well-being of your children. But the urging was, don't go back. Mm. Don't go back. And then it says, for our God is a consuming fire, which just, again, it raises questions. Daniel, after our first conversation, you talked about how difficult it was to think of of that idea being actually rooted in the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. where Moses said, for our God is a consuming fire, in the sense that he's a jealous God. He's jealous. He's protective of Mm -hmm. us in a good sense. But we talked about how difficult it is to think through. Mm -hmm. Let's kind of walk into the difficulty of the issue and see how over and over again the the scriptures tend to take something like fire and they give it a new meaning. Mm -hmm. But until the new meaning shows up, you don't realize it. Let's go to the last book of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, to the book of Malachi. I'm thinking right now of a text in Malachi chapter 3. And it talks about fire. And Bill, would you just read like verses, I think it's one through three. Okay. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. And that's interesting because the word Malachi means my messenger. Does it? And you know where this text is going to go eventually. So just where's it going eventually? That my messenger is going to be John the Baptist, who's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. Okay, good. I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Make the paths of the Lord straight. It's what it says in the New Testament. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Who's that referring to? Jesus. Looking back, you'd never get that before the fact. For (laughs) them, they would say Messiah. Yes. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire Mm -hmm. and like fuller's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Okay, now that's all written out of an Old Testament Mm temple-centered context. But when Jesus comes, and now we're looking back and we're saying Jesus gave his generation reason to believe that he was that servant who was to come. Mm -hmm. Did he come with fire? No, he came gentle and Mm -hmm. humble of heart. He did, didn't he? But we see him more fired in Revelation when he comes back. We see more of that element there. Again, yeah, Mm -hmm. which again, okay, now what are we going to do with that fire? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. in this sense, Malachi is predicting of one who will come with fire fire like a refiner's what's the Mm -hmm. whole idea of the smelting or the refinery it purifies metal Mm -hmm. yeah it heats it burns off the impurities and what you end up especially with precious metals like Mm -hmm. silver and gold you end up with a level of purity in it that makes it more and more valuable the more pure it is Mm -hmm. so if we take it just that far the fire that malachi is talking about is not just a consuming destructive fire 
it has what purpose? Refinement. To make it better. Purify. It's going to make it better. Mm -hmm. And I know it's impossible to understand or to really get completely what the people of Israel anticipated as a result of that kind of a prediction. Mm -hmm. But what did they probably think? Well, at least part of it was removing the people from leadership who had come in and taken over Israel. So in, in the case of the New Testament, Rome. Mm-hmm. Yes. So refining would be removing Rome. Yes. And establishing that God-centered, temple-centered leadership of Israel again. But specifically what Malachi said was he would purify the sons of Levi. And those yeah. were the priests. Mm-hmm. It's talking about purifying the religious system. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in that way, doesn't Jesus totally address He's bringing a new way on this planet. Yeah, and he actually begins a new priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. The priesthood going forward, according to like Peter, is this is going to be those who believe in him, mm-hmm. and they're going to become mm-hmm. priests mm-hmm. Yeah. to the world. And in the letter to the Hebrews, where you've had us start off each time, Mart, it talks about the priesthood of Melchizedek, that Jesus is a mm-hmm. priest according to the line of Melchizedek, yes. which is important because he could never be part of the Levi priesthood because he's of the tribe of Judah. Right. That's the kingly line, not the priestly line. So Mm -hmm. his priesthood is a different branch. But it sounds as though if you just were to read Malachi before the fact of Jesus coming, that it's going to be a real fire and it's going to get rid of the enemies and it's Mm going to, like you say, get rid of Rome and cleanse this people so that they're more like they were in the past. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, Let's go, Bill, to the forerunner, to Mm -hmm. John the baptizer, who, as you indicated, was chosen by God to anticipate and to present the coming of the one who would take away the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. What do you think his view of Malachi was? Or is there any indication that he may have had an opinion about Malachi's prediction? Well, I think he understood himself to be the fulfillment of it because he spoke in that language and in those terms about himself and his Mm -hmm. own mission. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he had to have understood that. Right. He used the terms of fire. Remember John the Baptist? Why don't we go to Matthew chapter 3? Okay. First of all, in verses 1 through 3 of Matthew chapter 3, we read, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he of whom was spoken up through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, mm-hmm. make straight paths for him. And then he goes on, the axe is already at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Yeah. And then he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. And that Ooh. happens on the day of Pentecost. Okay, yeah. Right? Now you're jumping way forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if we were to let this story unfold, at this point, it looks like John is saying the fire's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be like Malachi's prediction sounded, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And at the end of verse 12, he calls it an unquenchable fire. Unquenchable that's coming. fire, exactly. And you have to believe that the people listening to John would have then expected a very different kind of Messiah than what they would get in Jesus. <laughs> so they would have probably expected Judas Maccabees. This is the amazing thing about this. When the smoke clears, mm. what did they get? A baby. They got a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and they got one who, as you indicated and anticipated, Bill, was going to purify them, mm-hmm. not with fire, not the kind of fire you think of, but a whole different kind of purification of spirit, mm. of attitude. And then... He would actually promise to send them his spirit. And when it came on the day of Pentecost. Yeah, they were filled with the spirit and there were cloven tongues of fire over their heads. I think it says in the King James. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more love in the scriptures and in the God of the scriptures that can never be seen until after it happens. Mm. And you know, the same thing happens in our lives when Mm -hmm. the smoke clears. Mm -hmm. The God we feared, Mm -hmm. the God we thought was going to carry us or lead us into something that would be harmful. We look back and say, oh, what a God, how he loved us. For our God is not only a God of light and of love, but he's a God who loves us like a fire, but a fire unlike anything else we've ever known. And our generation has known a lot of trauma 
and a lot of it has come to the surface. It's become public. And some of it doesn't need to be brought to the surface because it'll come through a calamitous hurricane or mm. the fires on the West Coast have been just unbelievable, haven't mm. they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the storms that have moved through the, the South. Mm-hmm. And then there's the trauma of personal lives, whether it be mm-hmm. by accident or it be by abuse. But trauma is something that our generation really probably is working through now in mm-hmm. a way that other generations didn't. Well, I think some of that's because we live in an information age where we have access to more knowledge and and input about what has gone on and what has created the trauma. There was a time not that many years ago when if there had been massive, devastating fires on the West Coast, people on the East Coast would have never known about it. Yeah, and my generation talks a lot about therapy Mm -hmm. and a lot Mm -hmm. about dealing with trauma. In fact, sometimes I think that's the difference between Mart, your generation and my yeah, generation yeah. is it's still common for me to hear people older than me talking about, yeah, I don't know about that therapy thing and stuff yeah. like that. But younger generations seem to be embracing that maybe sometimes not in good ways, yeah, but for right. the most part, wanting to find healing from trauma. And what is the difference? What have we learned about trauma? Well, I think when it's hidden, it continues to destroy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's been a, a general acceptance of bringing it out, exposing it to the light, right. revealing mm-hmm. it, getting help for it, trying to prevent it, etc. But as generations go by and there's increased revelation of it, I think there's become increased value because it explains a lot of troubled behavior mm-hmm. in our world. Behavior. That we're not even aware of. Yeah. Or in some that we are aware of yeah. that we really want to address. Right. And a lot of our own behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because right. by processing things that have happened in the past, yeah. we're able to realize, ooh, mm-hmm. oh, that's why I do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think trauma is like termites in the soul. <laughs> I mean, they will continue to eat away and destroy things until they're dealt with and mm-hmm. gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the pursuit of therapy or whatever isn't even healing in the sense of like something is gone. But it's healing in the sense of now there's a way forward yeah. mm-hmm. as a result of the trauma. Understanding, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an awareness that even the body seems to have a memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. You know, so you well know. put. So we're, we're trying to learn how to get past that. Yeah. Well, I think the text we've been looking at in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, where it ends up saying, for our God is a consuming fire. It's like it wades into the trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, But mm. it's it's trying to put a new face on it. It's trying to put a new understanding of what our God is doing Mm -hmm. and why he, the God who revealed himself in his son, who sacrificed himself for us, enduring all of that trauma. Let's look at some of the the verses and statements preceding that text for our God is a consuming fire. And let's go back to verse 18. Actually, the whole chapter 12, Mm -hmm. it's trying to get the reader to understand that whatever God does that seems painful, it's really being done out of love. It's just we don't understand his heart. We don't understand how he's trying to bring about our love and why it mm-hmm. requires him sometimes to put us through a refining process mm-hmm. where he gets our attention. And as a result of getting our attention, we become willing to let go of some of the things that have been destroying mm-hmm. us. But let's go back to verse 18 where the author takes kind of a different approach to people who have experienced trauma, at least in their history. And uh, Daniel, would you start reading In verse 18, Hebrews chapter 12, you have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. Now, what's he referring to there? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Yeah, Yeah, there's actually a note that says something could be interpreted or translated as a mountain. Yeah, that's that's what mine has. Yeah, I do too. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. Mm -hmm. Because back in Exodus, when they first came to Sinai and God first presented himself to them from the mountain of Sinai, the people begged Moses, you talk to him. We're scared to to even go near him. What were they seeing? What were they experiencing? Well, there was an earthquake and there was fire fire, (laughs) and there was um, (laughs) all these phenomena localized in that one spot at one moment. And God warned them and he said, don't come near the mountain. Don't let your animals Mm -hmm. come near the mountain Mm -hmm. or they'll die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's setting up a contrast here. He says, you have not come to that kind of a mountain. He's writing. Mm -hmm. What is happening now? 
Elisa, why don't you pick it up at verse 20? Because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Bill, pick it up at that point. But, important word, hinge word, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Okay, the contrast is you haven't come to a burning mountain, but you've now come to something beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something full of glory. Yeah. As opposed to one which was terrifying, this other is welcoming. Right. And yet this one who is welcoming ends up being described as a consuming fire. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. It just turns it upside down, and it, it just says, "Wait a minute! Wait, wait! What, what are we? Re- what is he thinking?" You yeah, know? I am back to fire. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and in fact, I think Daniel, one of our other conversations, you started picking up on this idea. Okay, now wait a minute: Is Jesus really the consuming fire? Mm-hmm. And if so, how are we to take that? Right. And you began to play with that idea, putting him in different settings. Let's try this for a while, okay? okay. And okay. see if somehow, by looking at how Jesus actually was a different kind of consuming fire, mm-hmm. one with a heart, one doing it out of love. Mm-hmm. How did it work? I think sometimes it worked in healings mm-hmm. where Jesus is a consuming fire. We talked about the refiner's fire that would purify. And so if he would be dealing with someone like the woman with the issue of blood, for example, who had this ongoing long-term 12-year condition and her touching him purified her of that condition at that moment. Right. And I think about the demoniac and the um, how Jesus cast the demons into the herd of pigs and sent them off a cliff in the Gerasenes and how that really not only removed the demon in that kind of exercising way, but it also removed the locals' dependence upon pigs, which was a great distraction and their own complicated yeah. existence. They wanted Jesus out of there because mm-hmm. he was messing up the mm-hmm. economy, right? Mm-hmm. And he gave it right back yeah. to him. Yeah. So a lot was being consumed right there. And, and the man who was brought through that kind of saving, rescuing fire of love ends up clothed in his right mind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Purified. Purified, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we don't think of that as fire, but in spiritually, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but those are all positive ones. I'm thinking also, though, in the temple... Jesus comes in and cleans house is maybe a way to say it. And yeah, that, that's positive that feels, But it feels different in some yeah. ways because yeah. we see words like whip yeah. and turning over tables and things that feel much more fire-like yeah. than healing. Yeah, he was doing exactly what Malachi had said he would do. He was purifying the sons of Levi. Yeah. This passage that we're focused in with you, Mart, in Hebrews 12, 29, is preceded by a very wonderful and familiar discussion of God disciplining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've gone to it a million times just in our own personal lives. You know, this is what good discipline looks like. So the fire that we're also talking mm-hmm. about is a fire that disciplines yeah. Yeah. God's people. It's it, restorative. Mm-hmm. And the amount of injustice that was happening in the temple grounds. Yeah that led Jesus to respond in that way. There was a very refining thing that he was doing, right? Mm -hmm. People being Mm -hmm. overcharged, Mm -hmm. people being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. So even Mm -hmm. though it feels a little more intense than we're used to with Jesus. (laughs) But in a very real spiritual sense, God was speaking to them out of the fire as Mm -hmm. Jesus came into the temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he cleaned up what needed to be consumed. At least he took a move in the right direction. Now the question is, what about his crucifixion? Was our consuming fire nailed to a cross? To cleanse us of our sin and brokenness and all those things, the purifying fire consumed him on the cross so that it could consume all the things in us yes. that were keeping us from our Father. Yeah. And I'm reminded of, um, was it John the Baptist that said it'd be an unquenchable fire yeah. that mm-hmm. Jesus brought? Mm-hmm. The cross happened, but three days later, the fire wasn't quenched. 
it came back through resurrection. Mm. Yeah. And so, so it's unquenchable that yeah, way. Yeah, so it is unquenchable in that way too. Right. right. Yeah. So if we go back again to the Old Covenant scriptures, you've got a God who reveals himself, speaks out of the fire, sometime in a fire that doesn't consume. We alluded to that in our first conversation. Or sometimes to a fire that did consume. And that difference, as we've come to see ultimately in Jesus, is that God is doing it out of love. Mm-hmm. He's doing it out of wisdom. Mm-hmm. He knows what needs to be taken away forever. Mm-hmm. He sees what needs to be preserved forever. And that's the thing about a God who is a consuming fire, is that he knows how to consume that which is toxic, that which is ruining us, and to preserve that which he loves, a spirit made in his likeness, so that we could share his love forever. And so when the smoke clears, what do we have? Got a different kind of fire, but a God who loves us in a way that nobody has ever loved us before. Yeah, when the smoke clears, we're left with a God who loves us. God's love for us is a consuming fire. A great series of conversations the group is having in this episode of the podcast, really helpful and a fresh and more accurate way of understanding what that phrase at the end of Hebrews chapter 12 about God being a consuming fire means. And so how then does chapter 13 of Hebrews begin? What does the next sentence say? And remember, when it was written, there was no chapter break there. It simply was the next thing that the writer said. We'll find out when we conclude this study of When the Smoke Clears, after we take a moment to tell you about what we'll be studying together in our next podcast. The next study that the Discover the Word group will be doing together will be on the subject of the relationship between faith and doubt. Lisa Morgan will be leading, and she calls faith and doubt the odd couple. I want to ask a kind of a large question, and the question is, do you think that doubt and faith can coexist together. I don't know if they can or not, but I think they do. (laughs) And I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought a lot recently about whether those are opposites, like we tend to make them out to be, Mm -hmm. uh, that doubt is the opposite of faith. Mm -hmm. And I'm not so sure anymore that that's the case. You know, we typically think that doubts are really bad for faith, don't we? Mm -hmm. I'm going to suggest that they can serve our faith. Yeah, I think your initial question is really what I want to understand more about how does doubt relate to faith because I know the scriptures tell us whatsoever is not of faith is sin so if doubt is the counterpoint to faith then yeah doubt is a problem well I think that's really good Mm -hmm. because you just hit the bell on that that creates a lot of tension Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so if a struggle with doubt and faith the odd couple is where you are don't miss the next discover the word podcast Now, the conclusion of this study about God being a consuming fire and what we discover about that when the smoke clears. You know, in our last conversation, I kind of had a pop, you know, right at the end of it as I was looking at uh, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, because you were talking about how God's love is so consuming as a fire to refine us out of love. And I went back and read 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And, you know, we don't naturally put together thankfulness, worship Mm -hmm. with God as a consuming fire, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. these conversations have helped me in awe and reverence go wow, you know, you love us this much. Yeah, I think it goes back to the fact that we think of God in such human terms. It's hard for us to differentiate between God and his jealousy or love or Mm -hmm. consuming fire as opposed to how we normally naturally Mm -hmm. perceive it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like in Psalm 67 when it says, all the nations will worship God because he will deal with the nations justly. He will judge the nations justly. And I think, okay, of all the things that I want to worship God for, do I want to worship him because he's judging? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But his judgment is so different. In what sense? Well, because he judges perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and fairly. And with what motive? Love. To and, restore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. To make things right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not just to condemn. Certain mm-hmm. things will be condemned as a matter of making things right. Yeah. 
But yeah, but it's out of his, his love, his restoring. And his judgment is rooted in his ability to bring things to light. Yeah. His fire, you know, mm. has light. It yeah. brings things <laughs> to light. Shows what is good, shows what is evil. Yeah. Purifies and restores and mm-hmm. completes. Yeah, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But like we've been saying, I think in all these conversations, before the fact you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It took the coming of Jesus to, to help us to see, oh, wait a minute. He's a different kind of king. Mm-hmm. He's a different kind of priest. He's yeah. a different kind of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. He's a different kind of fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And boy, the, the whole idea of his kingdom just gets turned upside yeah. down yeah. and inside out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think actually his kingdom is right side up. We're the ones that are yeah. upside yeah. down. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. honest. But, right. but I think the Hebrew audience here would really have understood this consuming fire because their whole relationship with God was designed by sacrifices and burnt offerings. Yeah. And by God consuming the offering right. and the mm-hmm. sacrifice was his acceptance of it. Yes. In fact, if he didn't burn it, they knew they were in trouble. (laughs) And so that actual consumption of the sacrifice was God accepting their sacrifice, God accepting their worship. And so when Jesus, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Mm -hmm. allowed himself Mm -hmm. physically to be, in a sense, consumed Consumed. by Mm -hmm. crucifixion, Mm -hmm. that pleased the Father. I don't think it was in the sense that the Son died. It was that the Son was willing to bear the hatred and the sin of the world take that all upon him to reveal the Father's heart. He consumed him so that we won't be consumed to the death. Exactly, to protect Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I think our our first conversation, we talked about where this idea of the consuming fire came from. What were the roots of it? Beginning of Deuteronomy. Yeah. And specifically in a section that is calling Israel away from the natural desire they would have to worship the same gods that everybody else worships and God revealing himself as the one true God, the one God that actually has their best interests in mind. They were gods of violence, you know. So we've talked quite a bit about where this idea came from. Let's just go ahead and and keep reading now because we've kind of stopped reading right at at the end of chapter 12. In fact, let's just imagine no chapter break, okay? okay? So I'll tell you what. When it was originally written, there wasn't a chapter break. There was not. Right. That's right. Right. So Bill, start reading in verse 28, and then uh, Elisa, pick it up at 13. Let's just read for a few verses, okay? Okay. Okay. And I'll stop you when... Okay. Hebrews 12, verse 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have been shown hospitality to angels without Hmm. knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Okay, let's stop right there. Does anybody feel like, did you just have a whiplash? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think we're supposed to. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because the response to the consuming fire whose fire is love is for that love now to Mm -hmm. go through us. So if we have any question about whether or not we're really interpreting this right, was this love Mm -hmm. really fire? You know, all of a sudden it's just kind of like, let's let it flow. Let's let the stream flow into the next words. And what do we see there, Daniel? Yeah. If somebody were to ask, what does it mean that God is a consuming fire? You would respond with, well, it means that we should love one another. It fits the whole letter though, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? The whole of Mm -hmm. Hebrews Mm -hmm. is leading us up to this point. And I'm also struck too by, um, you know, so much of the New Testament was written to people that were experiencing what it meant to sacrifice to follow Jesus, Yeah. right? Torture, persecution, Mm -hmm. prison, all of that. And you see all of that right here, right? Mm -hmm. The type of love that they're talking about is don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, but also remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. And this also goes to the reason for writing this letter, because remember we said, and we've often said in other conversations too, these people were afraid of being arrested, Mm -hmm. thrown into jail, and maybe even killed as a result of following Jesus as Messiah. And so a lot of them were what? They were coming under pressure, right? Yeah, well, and they'd been driven from their homes because 
it's believed that the specific Jewish people that the writer is sending this to are people who were driven out of Jerusalem by persecution, right. and now they are part of the diaspora, the dispersion that followed that persecution. And so it's not just paranoia. They have seen mm-hmm. and witnessed mm-hmm. those very things happening to people they love. So in that way, these verses we've been looking at in these conversations, 28 and 29 of chapter 12, are really writing the fear. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. Yeah. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. it can't be shaken. And they've been through all kinds mm-hmm. of trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, prior yeah. to that, the wars. Yeah. Yeah. Israel had been under the heel of of other empires forever. But in the light of all that context, this God who's a consuming fire is also the God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's where this text is going, to that kind of voice coming out of the fire. But Mm -hmm. if anybody wonders what the intent of the author of Hebrews was, are they a monster? I mean, are they just, you know, are they got some kind of pagan idea about God being Mm -hmm. a fire? And say, oh, wait, just like you said, Daniel, now if you want to know what this consuming what that means to believe in that kind of a God. Look where it's taking us. Let's start again with verse 1 of chapter 13, just so we don't miss the impact of it. Okay. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated. I think, Daniel, your translation said being tortured Mm -hmm. as if you yourselves were suffering. Yeah, Daniel, pick it up at that point. Yeah. Let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Okay, let's stop there a second. The water kind of heated up there. Mm -hmm. It starts to sound a little bit harsh when he talks about God judging those who are unfaithful. Mm -hmm. But again, that goes back to the earlier conversation where God's jealous for us Mm -hmm. that we would understand his best for us and these things take us away from what's best for us into a self-destructive right and we've been talking Mm -hmm. about the whole idea this kind of fire is restorative it's purifying it's refining it's not meant to destroy us it's meant to refine us to bring the best out of us rather than to allow us going on Mm -hmm. to hurting ourselves and it's anchored in that mutual love yes that love for one another so the reasoning for that refiningness of the consuming fire is because to do those things, adultery, that is not loving. Those unfaithful actions, yes. Yeah, and it continues because it feels even more uncomfortable for us in some ways because it goes on to the love of money, Yes. right? Mm -hmm. And to being content, two of the things that, especially in a Western culture, we struggle with. Right. And why should we be content? Why should we not love money? Because oftentimes that leads to not loving other people. Right, and the scriptures even refer to that kind of coveting as idolatry, right? Mm-hmm. And the root of all kinds the of root evil. Of all kinds of evil. And then there's these Old Testament quotations. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Okay, now those words, again, go back to this idea of a people who are fearful mm-hmm. of persecution, of people who are afraid to follow Jesus because there can be a price attached to it. There's some rejection But this beautiful, and I think, as you indicated, this Old Testament text being quoted here, these are beautiful words for people who are afraid. Mm -hmm. Well, in that way, what can mere mortals do to me? That harkens back to, for our God is a consuming fire. In the end, he will avenge and he will take care of me. My enemies will be extinguished. There's this kind of promise to yeah. that. I really can't be harmed. Right. God's got this. Right. And even if out of love in our own hearts, we say my enemies will cease to be my enemies when God corrects them, restores, restores them, refines mm-hmm. them. Again, mm-hmm. We don't know for sure. There's a lot of right. unknown territory. Right. But it's just what wonderful words just to see that when the smoke clears, speaking out of that fire is a God who has revealed himself in Jesus and who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? That's what the cleansing love of God does. And that's one reason why I guess all of us 
when we read this text, you need to realize all of these words followed on the heels of a description of how Jesus brought fullness of meaning to the sacrifice and to the revelation of a God who made us for himself. You know, when you put all this together, Mart, who would have ever imagined that you would start with God being a consuming fire and out of that would come a confidence that says, what can mere mortals do to me? My God's a consuming fire. I can face anything the world throws at me. Well, thank you, Mart and Elisa and Bill and Daniel for leading us in this great hour of conversations about God as a consuming fire, not a scorched earth judgment type of fire, but a fire of love. That's what we see when the smoke clears. And so can I pray with you as we close this podcast? Father in heaven, help us believe that someday we will understand even more clearly the the flames of your love for us. Understand what it meant to have you walking with us through the fire. And in our clearer moments, to be able to say with maybe more confidence than we probably have right now, the Lord was my helper, and I did not need to be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And thanks for remembering that Discover the Word is a listener-supported ministry. When you give, you are helping people all around the world to encounter the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible. And as our world searches for hope and for answers, Now may be the time to forge a deeper connection with us by becoming a monthly partner. Discover the Word is part of Our Daily Bread Ministries, a global ministry reaching millions each day in over 150 countries around the world with the story of Jesus. And you can sign up to become a monthly partner or you can give a one-time gift when you visit our discovertheword.org website. Just click on the Donate tab up at the top of that page. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.